distance. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong, it's Fed Day once again, Thursday the 28th of July. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. The US Federal Reserve has raised interest rates for the fourth meeting in a row in a bid to tame inflation, which is at a more than 40-year high of 9.1%. The Federal Open Market Committee raised the federal funds rate by 75 basis points, targeting a range of 2.25% to 2.5%. At a press conference after the meeting, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said nothing works in the economy without price stability. We need to see inflation coming down. That's not something we can avoid doing, he said. But he left the door open about its next move at the September meeting, saying it would depend on the data. Mr Powell went on to say, as the stance of monetary policy tightens further, it likely will become appropriate to slow the pace of increases while we assess how our cumulative policy adjustments are affecting the economy and inflation. And that sent US stocks soaring on Wall Street. Fears are rising that rate increases will tip the US economy into recession. Jerome Powell said we actually think we need a period of growth below potential in order to create some slack. But ahead of the release of the first estimate of US second quarter GDP later today, Mr Powell said he doesn't think the US is currently in a recession. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said Hong Kong will have no choice but to raise interest rates, although the pace or scale need not follow US hikes. And it's unlikely to trigger the kind of property market crisis seen in 1998. Mr. Pao, uh, Mr. Chan told the South China Morning Post in an interview, the trend in rates is unavoidably rising. For homeowners, he said mortgage service payments may increase, but higher rates alone were unlikely to send property prices plunging, as other factors such as demand and supply and the overall economic situation would also play a role. President Joe Biden will reportedly speak with President Xi Jinping later today amid fresh tensions over Taiwan. The two last spoke back in March. On the agenda, as well as Taiwan, are likely to be US tariffs on Chinese goods, Beijing's refusal to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine and human rights issues. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Nitin Dialda, St Mandarin Capital. With a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold from SafePro Group. <laughs> On Wall Street, U.S. shares surged after Chairman Jerome Powell hinted that the Fed could slow the pace of interest rate increases. The S&P 500 added 2.6% to close at 4,024. The Dow leapt 436 points higher, that's 1.4%, to end the session at 32,198. The Nasdaq Composite Index jumped 4.1% to 12,032. After the bell, Meta Platforms, the parent company of Facebook, reported an earnings miss and a steeper-than-expected revenue drop for the April to June quarter. Revenue in the second quarter fell 1% from a year earlier to $28.82 billion, its first year-on-year -year revenue decline, which it blamed on macroeconomic pressures. 
Meta also issued a disappointing third quarter forecast, citing a continuation of the weak advertising demand environment it experienced throughout the second quarter. Shares of Meta have halved this year, and after the closing bell, they fell 4.5%. The Pan-European Stock 600 index climbed half a percent yesterday. London's FTSE 100 rose 0.6%. Hong Kong stocks dropped yesterday, wiping out much of the previous day's rally. The Hang Seng Index sank 236 points, or 1.1%, to 20,670. The Tech Index lost 1.3%, and on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.1%, to 3,276. Alibaba surrendered most of Tuesday's gain, dropping 3.3%. And the mainland property sector resumed its decline. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index tumbled 6.2%. The index, which tracks 10 of the mainland's biggest Hong Kong-listed real estate companies, is down 32% over the past three and a half weeks. And Country Garden slumped over 15% after proposing to raise 2.83 billion Hong Kong dollars from a stock placement at $3.25 per share. That was um, a 12.6% discount to Tuesday's closing price, and it will go to help repay part of its offshore debt. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 2% higher at $106.62 a barrel. European gas prices rose almost 2%, trading close to the record high set after Russia invaded Ukraine, after Russia further cut gas supplies through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany, with it now operating at less than a fifth of its normal capacity. Gold is 1% firmer at $1,739 an ounce. The 10-year Treasury yield ended the day little changed at 2.79%. The two-year yield, which moves with interest rate expectations, was four basis points lower at 3%. And the US dollar is weaker this morning. The euro is trading at $1.02. The bucks at 136.16 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.21.5 and nine Hong Kong dollars and 55 cents. The Chinese yuan is trading at 6.74.5 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is up 8% at $22,800. Asia Pacific stock markets, um, not a lot of movement at the moment. The ASX 200 in Australia up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan actually is up further. It's up about 0.8%. Cosby now up 0.9% and futures markets indicating a gain of about 130 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. It's 8.10 over in our Queensway studio. We find our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Farr. Morning, Enzio. Good morning to you, Peter. And also with us, Nitin Dialdus, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning, Nitin. Good morning. So as you heard there, the US Fed Reserves raised interest rates uh, by 75 basis points uh, to a target of two and a quarter to two and a half percent. Let's get uh, Enzio and Nitin your initial thoughts, first of all, on what we've seen and heard from the Fed overnight. Um. It was predictable. Um, I think initially, I think when we last spoke or when I was last on the radio a few weeks ago, there was a possibility of 100 basis points. But obviously, given the come down in the commodity prices, 75 basis points was always on the card. So I don't think it's anything surprising. Um, What is good is the fact that 
Chairman Powell is stating that he is going to look at the data and maybe it won't be as aggressive as people initially thought going forward. But let's see. I mean, every time they say that, the data always tends to be worse than what they're expecting. So let's see what the new numbers come up with next month and we can judge how that's going to go going forward. On the data also, I would add that the real Fed funds rate actually stands at minus 6.6%. In other words, if you take the 2.5% Fed funds rate currently roughly and the inflation rate of 9.1%, that means that in order to get that real Fed funds at zero, they'd have to hike by 75 basis points nine times. That's so, a bit of a So how whopper. high do you think rates are going to go to? Well, well, you, you're absolutely well, I'm, right. This I'm is more very... with Paul, Paul Volcker. Um, I think that they're going to go up to to six or eight percent because I. Yeah. But I mean, again, I, I'm I'm very against this whole rate hike the rates into slow growth and then slow inflation because it's it's not that simple. There's a lot of cost push inflation, and just because you're raising rates isn't going to stop calamities. It's not going to increase the oil production by the Texas billionaires who are Republicans or by the Middle East. It certainly, isn't going to increase gas supplies from Russia or beat down America's huge rental increases. So um, I'm afraid that it's, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of all wrong. They First of all, they, as we all know, they were far too loose on the, when they began loosening the spigots. So now to say, oh, well, we want to control inflation. Well, hello, I mean, you were part of the story. And now um, they're fighting it with, 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 with knitting needles where they should be using to a, a two-pronged attack. So you're much more hawkish than the markets because the markets, uh, even more so today, mm. are assuming we're sort of, um, this, this is the most we're going to see in terms of the speed of heights and they're actually going to slow going forward and then be done altogether by the end of this year and start being cut next year. The market have this uncanny way of kidding themselves. And I think that that's going to happen again myself. So this is going to be a big surprise, quite I a big shock. I think so, yeah. But I, I don't think that most people in the market get this, that the um, that there's so much cost push inflation still out there. Mm. Um, and by the way, it's just also amazing, let's just put this one on the table, that nobody's talking about the EU tons and tons and tons of grain that the EU could release at the flap, at the snap of a finger to release this purported, to reduce this purported grain shortage. Nobody's talking about that. I, I wonder why. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about the, the current rate increases? Are they having their intended effect? Are they helping to bring down inflation expectations, which is really what the Fed is trying to do here, isn't it? Well, uh, I, I agree with what NCA just said. There's a whole number of other factors that are coming into play that isn't necessarily making this have the effect that it should. Some will argue, well, if you look at the commodity prices, they have come down quite con uh, considerably over the last month. Um, but overall, you do have that inflation, and it's going to be at those le I mean, at these levels for another eight, nine months at least before things catch up. Mm. I mean, even with the come down in the right. commodity prices, um, let's not forget where we were f five, six months ago. So that's going to have another, as I said, six-month effect if we just stay stable around these levels, which means inflation is going to stay high for those six months. So I don't think they're, I don't think they're, they're having the effect yet that people want. Uh, maybe in terms of expectations going into next year, the inflation is not going to be as high because maybe we stabilize the prices around these levels. But that still means another six months of pretty high inflation going forward. Mm. And still way above the Fed's target of 2%. Correct. Yeah, yeah and I agree with, with it in there that it, once you get rid of the demand pull factors by jacking up the rates, you're still going to have the cost push factors mm. still just stubbornly grinding on.
And, and do you see signs that now inflation has become entrenched in the economy? Because if you look at the core inflation rate, it was up, what, 0.7% last month, wasn't it? Month on uh, month. on month, And you're, you're starting to see pressure for wage rises as well. Is this a, a sign that inflation is there now in the economy? Well entrenched? Certainly in rental inflation, which is kind of odd, surging home prices have made a lot of people go into the rental market. Then the prospect of higher mortgage rates has meant that people also are saying, well, gosh, I can't afford to, f to service the mortgage. Let's go into the rental market. So now the rental and the cost of shelter, which is a third of, G of, of, of inflation, that cost of shelter has been going through the roof, and that's going to stay for a long time. And in other words, one lady from Oxford Economics thinks that the, the, the rental inflation may not moderate until the second quarter of 2023. Mm. What about the quantitative tightening that's going on? The Fed uh, confirmed that that was going to continue, reduce the size uh, of its assets holdings on its uh, on its balance sheet um, by what by about uh, 47 and a half billion uh, per, per sorry 95 billion a month from uh, September um, what impact is that going to have I think that would actually in the long run have a, a, a decent impact in terms of stabilizing an economy um, money's been too cheap and it's been too easily available over the last 20 well let's say 15 years um, so we need some sort of normalization and the fact that they're going to start taking that money off the table is actually it's going to be a good thing in the overall as uh, in the overall scenario. But maybe you'll have a bit of short term pain. And you know what? Sometimes you've got to take that pain in order to have a lot, lot longer term view. In the inveterable words of my mother in law, when interest rates are low, the um, wrong people get rich. And that's, I'm afraid, happening yet again. But this is going to change attitudes, isn't it? Because now people will have to think about where they invest money, what projects they put it into. When interest rates were zero, it didn't really matter. Whether they even want to buy a house. Back to, back to, rental, back to rental inflation, back mm. to shelter inflation. So, yes, it, it does throw a spanner. Also, Nitin's thing about the valuations and, and all that kind of stuff is also completely thrown out, I, su I suspect. Mm. Now, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, he said in the press conference afterwards, he talked about recession. We've got US GDP figures uh, coming out uh, later on today. He was saying he doesn't think the economy is in a recession, but he was sort of like um, poo-pooing the, uh, the, the first quarter GDP numbers, saying they don't really matter. Um, it's other things that dictate whether you're in a recession or not. And he cited uh, strong jobs growth uh, as being one of the reasons why he doesn't think the economy is in a recession. What do you make of that? Uh, it's just buttering it up, isn't it? Trying to make yeah. people feel good. That's make himself feel good, probably as well. Um, the numbers don't lie. That that's the reality. If if you've got negative growth uh, for two consecutive quarters, you are in a recession. You just got to accept it. Now, you could maybe say the recession's not a deep recession um, because there is still other pockets of strength. Mm. But the reality is, overall, that country is in a recession, and you know there will be people suffering, and you can't just ignore that. You've actually had a, basically an economic tax hike. R rising rates means that there's less disposable income around. Rising inflation, also, by the way, for the huge multinationals, Unilever has had to increase its prices by about 11% just to keep up because of cost push factors. Rising inflation then eats into real income. So purchasing power goes down. That's important because three-quarters of any economy is driven by consumption. I always like to quip that it's always the women who decide who goes shopping or not. Um, so 
I think that that's very much a a factor that one just has to that that consumption is very much at risk and it is already slowing down. People aren't buying as many cars mm-hmm. as they used to. They're not going on those holidays that they wanted to go to. The discretionary spending is way down. So in that sense, the the rate hikes are working because there's a an overall tightening of financial conditions in but the, in inflation is still strong. Absolutely, he, he points to um, the the jobs markets. You know, he says the, uh, the the monthly payroll growth has been averaging about four hundred and fifty thousand jobs. Isn't the problem with that though that um, often you find that job growth is still increasing as you go into a recession because it's quite a backward looking number, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And again, I think let's not forget we're coming off a COVID situation so there's different types of industries that are being restarted and they're needing people to be hired so you are getting that job growth on on the back of the fact that there is this opening up of the country and things going back to normal um so let's again let's see a few months down the road i agree like you said it's a backward looking number um inflation kicking in the fact that costs are getting quite high companies have to now start looking at their numbers very very closely um yeah so you have the initial bounce after the summer let's see where it goes it's also quite important to remember that the unemployment rate which is often touted is actually it's kind of an oddball this one because it's it consists of people who are either looking for a job or who have who are part of the labor force but there are a lot of people who don't even join the labor force so these numbers are a little bit chunky uh, sort of on a good day Mm. Now, what about here in Hong Kong? Paul Chan was saying Hong Kong has no choice but to raise interest rates, but it doesn't need to follow, follow um, the scale of U.S. Uh, hikes. What impact is it going to have on the economy here? He was hinting on Tuesday um, that, uh, that we may be already close to recession. Yeah, I don't understand that it doesn't have to follow the level of Quite. rate hikes because we've got a peg against the U.S. dollar. Now, there was a little bit of a buffer, which has now been used up, so going forward, I don't see how you cannot follow the U.S. rate hikes without putting your own Hong Kong dollar under pressure and mm. the HKMA having to spend a lot of money. Otherwise, we'll it. see more capital outflows. Well, exactly. So I didn't really get that part of it. The fact is Hong Kong has to raise rates uh, if you want to keep the peg. So unless you're trying to hint at the fact, which he was adamant about, like, that we're going to – it's not the case. But if he's trying to hint at the fact the peg's going to go – then you don't have to follow those I heights. I don't think he is in, in that. Though, no, he's he? not. I mean, in fact, he was quite adamant saying the other way. He goes, the peg is here to stay. So you're going to have to follow those rate hikes. Otherwise, you just have a massive outflow and HKMA going to spend a hell of a lot of money trying to defend the dollar. Let's put a number on that hell of a lot of money of Nitin's. $173 billion has been spent in the 23, 23 times, during the 23 times of intervention this year alone. Um, and over the past fortnight, the HKMA has stepped into the market nine times to defend mm. the peg. So to say that we don't need to adjust the rates to defend the peg is basically baloney. Mm. And, and do you think these, raise, these rates hikes are going to tip the Hong Kong economy into recession? Um, that plus the fact that there's a mass exodus of people, plus the fact we're not bringing anyone in. Uh, there's a whole number of factors, but the so answer is So it's not just short. the rate hikes. It's not going to be the rate hikes alone, um, but... It's the Quarantines whole don't help. Quarantines don't help. I, I mean, we, everyone knows the issues exactly, going on in Hong exactly. Kong. So 
there's mass exodus of a lot of people, whether it's expats or locals. It's nobody's coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, all the of that. The streets, the whiteboards, just tell you yeah, that already. Exactly. And and he says that uh, this is not going to trigger a property market crisis like the one we saw in 1998. Although people were saying that back in 1997 as well, yes. weren't they? But um, <laughs> what, what do you think the impact is going to be on the property market? Again, I mean, the fact that you've got a lot of people leaving, nobody coming in, you've got interest rates hike. The one buffer at the moment in comparison to where we were in 1997 is people have a lot more equity in their home. Well, people who bought secondary homes have a lot more equity. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more of a buffer, so you don't have the fire sale over the fact that a lot of people are going to go into negative equity. Uh, Guys maybe who had bought on the primary market and haven't haven't got as much equity, that may trigger a bit of a sell-off over there. But in terms of the secondary market, there is a big buffer and people can pick and choose when to sell based on that. And I think also that some of the banking regulations have tightened up yeah. on how much you get to actually go in for a mortgage, so or how much the, the banks get to mortgage out or whatever you call it. So um, those things, I, I think there's less of a risk. My great hope actually is that we get a flood of mainlanders coming in who buy the market and rejuvenate our economy for Hong Kong. That's, that's my whole hope. They speak pretty good English, by the way. Okay. My question on that is why would the mainlanders come here? I mean, before you had the buffer of the second system, now that you don't, and you're, you're going to ask them to pay triple the price of what they pay at home, is there any, you know, love to come to Hong Kong? I mean, that's going to be the interesting factor. I think that they there could be a tax reason. Yeah. Um, there could be just it's quite chic to be here kind of thing. It's a little bit like the staycation people from the social welfare state saying, well, I spent the weekend at the Mandarin. What about you? Um, so... Um, there are still there's a more sophisticated banking system in Hong Kong than in China, so I think there's a more sophisticated infrastructure that will attract uh, continue attracting some top talent, but it may not come in droves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much. Thank you, you heard there our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl, and Nitin Dialdis, who's chief investment officer at Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Twenty-four and a half on the phone from Taipei is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Morning, Ross. Good morning. Well, we're, we're hearing reports that, although it hasn't been confirmed, but President Joe Biden is going to speak with President Xi Jinping uh, later today by, by phone. What can we expect from that? Can we hope for uh, maybe a reset of U.S.-Chinese relations? Uh, ever the optimist, are you, Peter? <laughs> Try. Uh, I mean, we could expect we could expect them to cover the usual issues, whether that's uh, trade, uh, U.S. concerns about Hong Kong, uh, Xinjiang, uh, Tibet. Uh, if Pelosi's visit is still unresolved, which as of the moment it seems she's still thinking about it, that's going to take up a lot of time, as well as U.S.-Taiwan interactions. Generally, uh, the trade issues, of course, and then the, those those several issues that the Biden administration has eternal hope that it could cooperate with China on, such as climate change, North Korea's nuclear program, and Iran's nuclear program. And if it focused on those things, rather than just the things it disagrees on, at least tries to focus on areas that they can work together on, that would be a step forward, wouldn't it? That's a great point, because the, the U.S. side seemed to have thought 
or if we go back to, say, December and January, that that list of issues that there might be some room to cooperate on would include uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, from their perspective that, well, nobody really wanted a war, and uh, it's disruptive to global supply chains and economy and inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And several times over the last six months, the U.S. has been critical, but there's also been times when the U.S. has appealed uh, publicly or directly in face-to-face meetings uh, for China's help. China could maybe use its influence uh, with Putin to bring an end to the war or at least uh, uh, spur negotiations. Unfortunately, that has not happened either. So, uh, yeah, I mean, your your point is correct in the sense that there is this hope. uh, That's probably one reason why from the U.S. side or specifically President Biden himself finds these calls uh, necessary, Uh, there there is this element that it's it's become routine, right? Every three or four months, uh, they have a phone call and they cover this uh, list of issues. And how much has this uh, controversy over Nancy Pelosi's proposed Taiwan visit poisoned the well here? We don't really know if she's actually going yet because her itinerary hasn't been... um, publicized but this has really boxed the u.s into a bit of a corner hasn't it because president biden seems to indicate he doesn't want her to go but he has no authority to tell her that yeah believe it or not uh from my my flat window i could actually see the landing pattern for the domestic airport here in taipei where where uh, some of these vip uh, aircraft usually fly into so i'm looking for her her, her plane. It still hasn't landed yet. Uh, so it seems like they're still debating this internally uh, between her office, other members of Congress who would have accompanied her on this trip, which was not not just to Taiwan, but to other places in Asia as well, the executive branch, and including the military. Uh, for Biden, he, he clearly doesn't want this to take up a, a big part of his phone call mm. with Xi Jinping, which again will happen if, if this issue is unresolved. And then there's the issue of the U.S. doesn't when and specifically members of Congress. And the House Speaker herself don't want to be seen as backing down just because it was uh, Chinese spokespeople who have issued warnings about whether or not uh, she should go. Uh, then Taiwan is caught in the middle because on the one hand, they want to welcome the, the, the in-person visits of U.S. Congress people. It does show the U.S. support for the, for the Taiwan government, uh, but they're going to have to pay the cost as well. Even if uh, China's response, for example, is increased military exercises, then that, that, that's going to cost Taiwan a lot of money because Taiwan is going to have to send its aircraft and, uh, into the air and its ships out, out, out to sea. It's a drain on resources, personnel, etc. China might retaliate economically, which will hurt uh, export, certain exporters here in Taiwan. We've seen that with agricultural products in, in recent years. Uh, so Taiwan is stuck in the middle because they also can't say, well, maybe it's not such a great idea if you come here, Speaker Pelosi. And and what is the Taiwan administration's position on this? Do they want her um, to, to visit or are they rather dreading this, thinking, as you say, uh, that there's going to be consequences for Taiwan which may well not be good? Well, the, the simple answer to that is there's a local election in November and a national election in January 2024 here in Taiwan. So uh, for the for the people who are ruling, uh, well, when a VIP from the United States comes, they could say to the public, to the voters, look, we're doing a great job. The United States supports her. So if they had to choose between welcoming the visit and not welcoming the visit, uh, notwithstanding the cost of welcoming the visit, I think they welcome the visit.
And just let, finally, let me get your thoughts on this other rather extraordinary story we're hearing about, which is that China's been accused by a Republican Select Committee of trying to plant, in effect, spies inside the Fed uh, to try and gain um, economic advantage uh, over the US and even at one stage uh, detained a Fed economist on the, on the mainland to try and get him to disclose uh, Fed policy. What do you make of that? No, there might be some truth to these allegations. I mean, we, we despite uh, the politics of it all, the, the fact is there have been examples in recent years of uh, scholars in the United States uh, who have uh, violated U.S. law, if, if, even if the violation was not reporting uh, funding that they received from a foreign government, foreign universities, in this case China. And sometimes it was a condition of, of grants that they received from U.S. government that they did have to report this, even if there was no theft of technology or, or intellectual property involved. So if this uh, occurred with, with a federal government employee, or in this case the Fed, it wouldn't be a, a surprise whether or not uh, there was substantial damage to the economic or, or, or the monetary policy of the United States. That remains to be seen. Okay, Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Taking another look around Asia-Pacific stocks, the ASX 200 is up about two-thirds of a percent in Australia. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has moved half a percent higher. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea up 0.6%. Uh, futures markets pointed to a gain of just over 100 points for the Hang Seng at the open in just under an hour's time. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for some more Money Talk. Coming up after the news, back chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. The weather forecast, fine, very hot during the day, maximum temperature of around 34 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. It's going to be very hot and sunny, uh, apart from isolated showers for the rest of this week and into early next week. The very hot weather warning is in force, 30 degrees right now, 77% relative humidity. Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The U.S. Federal Reserve has raised the benchmark interest rate by three-quarters of a percentage point and said more hikes will be needed as it battles to tamp down price pressures. It was the second straight 75 basis point increase and the fourth rate hike this year as U.S. central bankers move to cool the strongest surge in inflation in more than four decades. The chair of the Fed, Jerome Powell, warned that another unusually large rate hike could follow. Over coming months, we will be looking for compelling evidence that inflation is moving down, consistent with inflation returning to 2%. We anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate. The pace of those increases will continue to depend on the incoming data and evolving outlook for the economy. Wholesale gas prices in Europe have reached near record highs. On the day the Russian state-controlled firm Gazprom further cut flows through a major Baltic pipeline, Nord Stream 1. They closed at 204 euros a megawatt hour, just shy of the all-time peak of 210 euros they hit in March. It's well over five times higher than the price a year ago. Analysts say surging gas prices will compound inflation, hit households, and affect industrial output. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky accused President Putin of withholding gas to provoke political and economic turmoil in Europe. It is clear to everyone that this is Russia's deliberate price terror against Europe. Using Gazprom, Moscow is doing everything to make this winter the toughest for European countries. It is necessary to respond to terror 
respond with sanctions. One of the people who helped inspire the Green Movement, James Lovelock, has died. He was 103. The British scientist was best known for his speculative idea that Earth is as an interconnected, self-regulating system he called Gaia. Speaking to the BBC in the 1990s, James Lovelock warned that climate change could have a devastating impact on humanity. The rules of the game are very like the rules of the old goddesses. They were feminine, nurturing, and kind, and all the rest of it. But if you broke the rules, you were zapped without doubt and eliminated. And it's just the same with Gaia. Any species that adversely affects the environment will not succeed. It'll be eliminated. The parent company of Facebook, Meta, has reported its first fall in revenue since the firm went public a decade ago. Meta said revenue in the second quarter declined by 1% over the previous year. The company renamed Meta last year is facing increased regulatory scrutiny and competition for advertising.